Look, I'm, I'm not gonna be the first person you guys have talked to who's gonna lament our reputation in InfoSec as being blockers and the, the owners of constraints when it comes to business process, right? Uh, our job is viewed as saying no and creating complication. We're all aware of this stigma. I joke about it and we think we, you know, we get in our InfoSec conferences and our roundtables and we laugh about it and say, oh, you know, these guys don't get it and they don't understand what we do, but we need to embrace that and understand that that's on us to fix. Welcome to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast, where we share short and to the point perspectives on the cyber landscape. It's all about engaging yet casual conversations on what organizations are doing to reimagine their cyber programs while ensuring their business objectives are top priority. With my co-host, Stan Wisseman, Head of Security Strategist, I'm Rob Borrego, Chief Security Strategist, and this is Reimagining Cyber. So Stan, who do we have joining us today? Rob, our guest today is Brian Galloway. Brian is currently the Director of Information Security at Enphase Energy, covering not only enterprise security, but also product security. He previously served as the Head of Information Security at Sonico Products Company, a global packaging firm, where he helped them establish their cybersecurity program. Brian, it's great to have you with us today. Can you expand on your background a bit for our listeners? Sure. So happy to be here with you guys. I started out as an as a electrical engineer with no idea about security, uh, and, and since then I've been able to focus on uh, security in a variety of ways from compliance, risk management, engineering, and system development, operations, and, and strategy, and, and I've been able to do those across a bunch of industries. I've benefited from all that, and it's given me a chance to see and interact with a, a pretty diverse set of perspectives and interests. As far as your opportunity at Enphase, you're helping them establish an information security program, and you had the same opportunity in a completely different sector at Sunoco. I was just wondering as far as just the differences in, in working with executive leadership in these kind of firms, again, technology, green technology firm, and more of a, a blue-collar industrial firm. What kind of differences have you seen as far as, again, the same goal, helping them protect their assets and, and standing up a program, but completely different kind of sectors? My experience with the industrial sector and specifically in manufacturing and, and um, product manufacturing is you know, those organizations in general tend to be less sophisticated when it comes to cyber because they've had the luxury of being less visible targets. You know, that lack of a sense of threat creates, unfortunately, a level of comfort. And along with that comes the thinking that the data or the IP that they have isn't valuable. And obviously, I think we can all agree that's, that's wrong. Um, the hard reality is even if a manufacturing organization doesn't tick the box for a political or ideological motivator, you know, all businesses provide financial and, and commercial drivers for the right cyber criminals. You know, I think the statistics last year from 2020 were something like 1,400 ransomware incidents were observed, and most of those targeted manufacturing, engineering, and tech. And, and for manufacturing to think they're not a target is, in this day and age, is absurd. I mean, these, these large organizations, regardless of how well-known they are, make great targets uh, because they can pay larger ransoms. But, you know, conversely, with, with a technology firm, there's, there's more sophisticated understanding of the threats and risks. Um, they, they grasp the implications there. They understand the risk, certainly from a product side, because uh, so, that's the business, the lifeblood. There's the different set of dynamics, right? There, the differentiation is how do we build security in in a way that makes sense for the business to, to operate effectively? Um, you know, they're more willing to uh, invest at a, at a rapid pace because they're more aware and more sensitive to it, um, have, have a willingness to adapt, but uh, it still has to work for the business. When you look at your particular business today, and you look at that green technology sector, right? That's, that's an extremely fast, right? Competitive industry. 
the drive of security and how you actually are, are tying it in, injecting in and building it in, what are you seeing as some of those key capabilities, right? Kind of tie into the development processes, tying into, you know, other areas of how you can really embed security into the organization. What are some of the lessons you've learned as you've been going along the way in doing so? Yeah. Yeah. Rob, great, great point and good transition into how we actually make this a reality. Cause it's one thing to make people aware and it's another to say what we do about it. And that's, that's exactly. always the, the key challenge is communicating that uh, understanding and, and, and really what that turns into is, is for any organization is, is a culture change. It's, it's an understanding of, of the relevance of security within the business culture and making it part of that every step of the way. So you asked about how we build it in, look, I'm, I'm not going to be the first person you guys have talked to who's going to lament our reputation in InfoSec as being lockers and the, the owners of constraints when it comes to business process, right? Uh, our job is viewed as saying no and creating complication. We're all aware of this stigma. We get in our, our InfoSec conferences and our roundtables and we laugh about it and say, oh, you know, they, you know, these guys don't get it and they don't understand what we do. But we need to embrace that and understand that that's on us to fix. We've got to be the ones who come to the table with a way that makes this make sense. I can talk to them blue in the face about how DevSecOps is going to make our business more secure. And my dev teams uh, are, are going to look at me with blank stares as I talk to them about static and dynamic analysis being required and they can't go live without security sign off. And they're going to say, yeah, we, we get it. Thanks. But this is tied to business objectives and we've got these goals and, and we're going to hit it whether you like it or not. And the organization has to, in order to be successful and grow, has to meet certain market needs. So that all ties back to me. You know, we're no longer, I'm no longer in a position as a security uh, leader to be able to say that, um, you know, my, my goals and objectives and my timelines don't get tied to business outcomes. They, they absolutely do. This is where we, we've reevaluated how we accomplish what we can do. What I've been preaching to, to my organizations as I've been there is, you know, there, there's no rules stating that, that my team has to be one to perform and triage these tests and findings. There's nothing that says that I have to be ultimately responsible for implementing all this security. My job is to establish what has to be done and make sure that it happens. So I provide governance oversight and frankly, some internal consultative services, but I can allow self-service for my dev teams, which allows them to operate on their own cadence. I can allow self-service and integrate my testing into quality testing and validation because now it's a feature of the product. So if I do a good job and, and you know, we always talk about moving left in our, in our security processes, whether it's MITRE attack or kill change, and you know, we talk about moving left and being, you know, being more secure, but that works on business process too. The, the sooner we move left and start integrating the requirements, as soon as we move left, start integrating you know, the architectures and, and good security practices, whether it's you know, secure coding practices, or like we talked about the SaaS and DAS components that allow our business operators to run these things on their own as part of their own thing. And then and then my organization's job is to make sure that when we get to those gates, when we get to those uh, promotion gateways and, and production gateways, and we look to push the product out, that they can look to us and say, did all of these things happen the way they should? And do we have confidence in the product that it's going to operate the way it should? And can we provide trust out to our partners and consumers that, that it's going to operate the way we expect? If I can't answer yes, then we shouldn't go live. And that's really where I, I create value for the business is, is by letting the business run itself, integrating security, and then validating that things have happened appropriately. So, so Brian, you have some unique challenges though in this space too. I mean, you guys provide a, a micro inverter, right? For your solar panels that connects back to a networking hub. And one of the challenges that you have is it's complicated is just the longevity of these deployed systems, right? It's not as if you're dealing with just an application that's out there and it has a release cycle and you have to deal with a deployment that may be there for 25 plus years and changing ownership of that particular dwelling, that house, 
that has the solar panels and ultimately your, your products integrated into it. In that context of understanding the requirements and how to secure these deployments effectively, what are some of the areas of focus that you are working on? We do have some interesting dynamics um, and we do have uh, an IoT fleet. You know, these, these systems have been designed to live for a long time and they may experience some unusual events, uh, you know, being offline or unconnected for extended periods of their life cycle, you know, which is, which is a little bit unusual for an IoT type device. You know, the, the point of an IoT device is to be a connected device. You know, these are, are designed to run connected for, as you've said, decades at a time. So throughout that life cycle, you know, we, we have requirements where we may need to upgrade software or communicate after telemetry, you know, support other interactions like break fix or, or other in-place upgrade type things. So we do have these requirements for how we, we specifically manage and integrate security into the operational life cycle of, of our product set. And we've got millions of devices deployed you know, globally in various levels of connectivity. You know, and that's tied to both the internet and to the grid where these things live. So these are grid tied devices. That context, I think, you know, we couple that with the need to provide digital services, connecting these systems and, and as you said, the homeowners and, and you know, the site to someone who can manage it and whether that's an installer or, or the, the customer, the homeowner themselves to monitor how much production they've got or, or any issues they're having. But what we've really identified is that identity management, you know, very much like our, our, our legacy enterprise and IT systems, identity management is key ensuring long-term security and long-term resiliency and sustainability of this fleet. Then we have uh, the other constraints that we deal with, which are, are equally interesting. We have technical aspects of these IoT systems that come into play. And, and now we have to account for you know, technical limitations you know, around memory or processing power and communication bandwidth. Those are really interesting areas. And you think about the, the green energy organizations in general, right? They're still in the infancy. So when you look at that and you start thinking about different standards, right, coming out. Do you see, or are you guys active in anything that's kind of tying to get together some of the things you were just discussing, right? The cybersecurity aspects, interconnecting with the identities, and then some of that tie back in, especially with all the different IoT devices that are intertwined as part of the, the, the capabilities and services that you're delivering back out. It's, it's an emerging space. You know, we're still maturing. We're still evolving as an industry. And that's a, that's a nice way of saying that that, that that means there's not a lot of standards in place. You know, there's, there's regulation but it's not really focused on the security aspects necessarily because those, those are hard and those create constraints. Those create issues for scalability and if you want to achieve renewable energy, you know, a saturation level that helps whatever the agenda might be, saying that you have to slow that down in order to account for these types of very complex solutions runs counter to that. You know, there needs to be a balance between the regulation that comes in and uh, how we're going forward to market. So you know, what, we can, what we can say is you're not going to see clear guidance on things like identity and assurance standards. You know, we, we looked at enterprise and IT security, and we have things like 853 from this. We've got ISO 27001 and COVID that talk about programs and processes and technical controls. And there's some good reference and tailorable frameworks that we can pull in and, and some good examples of things we can tailor down. But what we really need is a standard that, that helps scale for this industry that provides for things like interoperability. So um, we do have groups like the SunSpec Alliance, uh, which publishes interoperability specifications and information models for software developers and hardware manufacturers. And these uh, specs are designed to provide that interoperability uh, for the distributed energy resources and smart grid applications. The interesting bottom line to, to a lot of this is that the, uh, you know, the sophistication and the nature of the technology underpinning my industry, you know, it all reduces to those same fundamentals, you know, as, as we've or even in our short talk here, you know, there's some very basic concepts that tie through all of these things. And, and technology is, you know, I don't want to be reductive, 
but but there is a, a simple way to look at, at you know cyber hygiene and the fundamentals of what we do. You know, when we have vulnerabilities we identify, we have to patch. I mean, we have to have an open line of communication to a device in order to send an update that closes a security vulnerability. As much as we can customize and tailor our own uh, software and we can tailor our own remove some of our third-party dependencies, we're always going to have the need to do some of these basic fundamental security things. So that hygiene is super critical and it just has to scale. I agree with you as far as there's certainly commonalities, but folks many times differentiate between the IT environment and the OT or the operational uh, environment. Some of the fragility in the OT environment as far as being able to cope with vulnerability testing and runtime environments that could potentially disrupt certain processes. And there's concerns about how best to monitor it. Going back to the whole challenge we faced with ransomware and we had Colonial Pipeline. Now that was an impact, honestly, on their IT side that caused them to shut down the pipeline. Um, but how do you perceive the vulnerability you know, detection as well as threat monitoring on the OT side? And there may be commonalities, but what do you see as some of the differences too? You know, there's a time when there was the, the simplicity of OT and IoT devices helped us secure them. But what we've seen is as we became more dynamic with what these deployed devices can do, um, you know, integrating things like PLCs with making real-time decisions for digital or mechanical devices, you know, uh, we started putting robotics in place. You know, our approach had to change for, for the risk profile, which means we had to understand uh, the changing in the, in the threats, right? Once I allow an OT or an IoT device to make decisions, then it has the ability to do things, which means it changes. It's an active player now. It's not just a passive collector mm-hmm, or sensor mm-hmm. and, and distributor. We've just become more sophisticated in how to assess vulnerabilities in the context of the operating environment these things live in. Specific to your question, you know, we, we have to understand the risks associated with our products uh, and how they interact with critical infrastructures like the energy grid. Um, you know, our threat monitor, monitoring and detection processes don't change significantly from the IT methodology our thresholds are much tighter. Um, mm-hmm. Our deviations and anomalies, there's less noise and, and an expectation of noise for things like we see in network monitoring where you get heuristic detection and you're looking for you know, thresholds of certain things. So if I have one device that normally connects to one other device and it suddenly connects to a third device, that's unusual and I may flag it. But if it's not doing active total environment scanning, I may not raise that up as a significant issue. Um, on these devices, any deviation from the proposed purpose becomes a significant event that we want to evaluate. When you look at the energy kind of sector side of things, right, there's a lot of different um, third-party aspects of things back into the grid, the different providers that you can kind of, you know, feed information or feed energy back into, but the interconnections and potential concerns that that brings. Then it's back in through the consumer's house back that could hop into your environment as well, right? So it's coming from all different angles for you guys. What are some of the things that you guys are looking at specifically to that type of concern, that type of risk from a supply chain perspective? The, the nature of, of our, our deployed systems makes them a, an interesting target, a compelling target uh, for compromise because we do touch local networks and, and we do touch the grid. So like you said, you know, there's various uh, actors that would have different motivations to, to take a look at, at what we have. Now, frankly, the, the scale required to impact critical infrastructure at this point be significant. We being the, the solar and, and you know, PV industry do not have a saturation level that would, you know, at a mass compromise of these systems uh, with persistent control uh, allow for much fluctuation in the energy grid at this point. So we could cause some blips and issues locally, localized, but nothing significant. But 
Um, but the threat's real. And as we continue to grow, that's going to increase. So it's one of those problems where we either you know, deal with it now or we deal with a worse one later, you know, where we've got additional debt we have to deal with from the technical implementation side. We've got um, emerging and changing technologies are coming into play. So this is definitely something from a supply chain perspective and the, and the niche that we fill uh, that we're taking very seriously. We play the same role as, as, as many other IoT vendors. Now, the difference is your Alexa or your you know, Google Home device isn't going to connect back into your power grid. Could it cause power to or your thermostat to cause for a significant catastrophic event, a kinetic event? Maybe, but probably not. You know, we, We've got an interesting niche that we have to fill. And, and that is where, to your point, we create this up the supply chain uh, obligation that we have as, as a partner, as, as a provider of this service to create secure solutions and, and provide transparency and education to our consumers and partners about our security practices. It gives people a sense of, of awareness for how we expect the product to run and, and what they can expect from us. And I think that level takes us away from being just a third-party uh, supply chain partner or a vendor and really moves us into true partnership with these consumers and with these, these other you know, actors. And I think, Brian, you know, it's great to see that your organization is invested in security, right? For bringing you on to say, we, we believe in it, we know we need it. And to your point, right, it's the opportunity that you have to not say, well, we'll think about this later and have all this additional technical and security debt that comes along for the ride, right? No, you guys are doing a great job from what you just shared on being able to plug it in early, being engaged and making it more seamless to, to deliver the trust that you guys need, obviously, and working and ultimately safety as well, of course, as part of the equation. So really great perspectives on different you know, aspects of what's happening in your background and also very re real with the energy sector uh, and green energy specifically. So we appreciate the time. Well, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you guys. It's a lot of fun. Hey, thanks, Brian. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for listening to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to have us cover a specific topic of interest, feel free to reach out to us and you can find out how in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe. This podcast was brought to you by CyberRes, a micro-focused line of business, where our mission is to deliver cyber resilience by engaging people, process, and technology to protect, detect, and evolve.